0: Hey everyone, and welcome to part two of our series that we started last week, where we are looking at God's activity in his people as they endured exile in the foreign nation of Babylon. We're asking the question in this summer series, what was God doing in their experience that can show us how to live in our experience? Because so many of us in the season that we're living in feel like we're strangers. We're outsiders. We're exiles in our own homes and in our own land. And so how do we live as people in this kind of day that we find ourselves in? Last time, if you remember, uh, we looked at Israel's final revival under a king named Josiah, where God reacquainted his people with their true identity and their true story through the Passover. And we said that that this experience wasn't to avoid the pain of exile but it was to prepare them to endure it because they'd have the ability armed with their story to walk through the devastation knowing who they are and knowing that god would never abandon them today we're going to look at the first snapshot of life on the other side of that grim march into babylonian captivity and exile and unfortunately it's a It's a scene of immense pain and trouble, and it comes from Psalm 137. Uh, You probably won't find this psalm in your devotional book, and uh, there's a pretty good reason why that might be. Psalm 137 says this, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Zion's another name for Jerusalem. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while we're in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I, if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day that Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks in the midst of pain and torment we proclaim this good news that God sees and makes space for the anger of those who are oppressed and held captive. He remembers the cause of those who suffer injustice at the hands of cruel governments or unrelenting pandemics. And in his anger, he's come to oppose evil in all its forms through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Today, he invites you not to numb your anger or to blow up in rage and hopelessness, but to feel your anger and submit what makes you mad to him so that he can channel it to manifest his kingdom on earth. Uh, There has been a lot of events in the world that are worthy of getting angry over recently. Um, We have continued to see uh, issues of systemic racism and violence against people of color, Inju- injustice uh, done from generation to generation that, that hasn't gone away. It's just changed its stripes, but it's still here and it's popping up all over the place. And we're seeing uh, people in mass protests just saying, I'm not okay with this anymore. And I almost forgot for a few days that we're actually still in the midst of a global pandemic. And it's now today, um, I mean, it's been a few days, but uh, it, it's, it's now claimed over 100,000 people just in the US alone. 100,000 people. If that weren't enough, we have governments that, both local and national, that either seem to bungle the response to it or, or take public safety uh, lightly. Or turned a blind eye to the reality of injustice that's been going on in our nation from its very inception. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm tired of talking about these things. Is there anybody who isn't tired of all this? I mean, we, all of us, I think, we want to move on. We want to get back to life as we knew it. And I was so tempted to be honest with you, perfectly honest, right? This is a day where we get to be honest with what we're feeling, okay? You get to be honest and I get to be honest. And to be honest with you, I, I wanted to move on to other things. I had originally put Psalm 137 in the series and to be perfectly frank with you, I wanted to cut it out and just do something else, focus on something else. But there are three things this week that gave me pause and I couldn't shake them. The first was that I realized that I have unprocessed anger myself over a lot of these things, and I need to learn how to handle it better. And maybe that's you too. Or maybe you just get to watch me learn how to handle it better, and that's okay too. God's doing something in me. Second though, and more importantly, there are those who are directly affected by these things, by COVID and by racism. And they don't have the option to go back to normal. And maybe what God's teaching us is in this, this time and this season is to learn how to continue to mourn with those who mourn. And the third thing that I couldn't shake this week, and maybe it's the most important of all, is that one of the things that I believe that God is doing in our day is he's reorienting us to remember what our anger is actually for there are things to truly be mad about and we don't need to be ashamed that we're mad in fact it's it's good to feel bad about bad things i mean the the, the captors were taunting Uh, the Israelite exiles, and they're saying, hey, you guys are known for for how happy you are all the time. You're known for these these songs that, that you sing to each other to bring joy. We've heard about some of those. Hey, sing us one of those songs. We'd love to hear it. We're all ears. And the response was, we hung up our hearts back in Jerusalem. It's okay to be mad. Maybe it's not a time for joy. Maybe it's a time for sorrow and we need to learn how to join God in sorrow, maybe. One of the things that I'm learning about myself in this season is that so many of the things that make me most angry are the things which most directly inconvenience my life. They're the things that interrupt my personal comfort and autonomy rather than the things which stand opposed to God's kingdom arriving in this world. So we've been taught that anger is wrong, that Christians shouldn't get angry, and it needs to be said. Anger is only wrong if it's directed at the wrong things. Yes, it's wrong to be angry about things that simply just inconvenience our lives. And today, if, we're, if the thing that we're most angry about are, are people who continue to call for justice because we're tired of the news, we're tired of the cycles, we're tired of hearing it, then I would suggest to you it's not anger that we're feeling, but it's apathy masquerading as anger. And friends, anger is not the opposite of love. Apathy is. To not get angry that the things that make God angry is apathy and sin. If my kids are in harm's way, it's wrong not to be angry. And in the same way, to be numb to the things that destroy God's intent for the world, his kingdom coming so that equity and peace and justice for all people can be enjoyed by all people, if I'm numb to those things today, then I'm being entirely unlike Jesus. I'm being, I'm not being full of love. Because sometimes anger and love go together. Jesus was angry. And we talk about him as being the embodiment of the God of love, and that's absolutely true. But so much of the time that that we don't even see Jesus' love manifested itself in anger. He was angry at the death of his friend Lazarus. He was angry at the money changers' greed and their discrimination against the poor. He was angry at the demons who possessed an innocent man. He was furious at those things. And they called him into action. See, Psalm 137, the writer of, the, of this psalm is, is furious too. And he's furious as he reflects on the horrific events that he and his nation went through when Babylon came in, besieged their city, and and took it over by force. They came in, they burned it to the ground, and they carried them off into exile. And he gives an eyewitness account of this unspeakable justice, and it was unspeakable. There are two things that, that he brings to God, God's attention. He says, I can't forget these things. I'm so angry about them. The first is that the, the neighboring uh, nation of Edomites who weren't strong enough to take Jerusalem uh, on their own, but when bigger, badder, stronger you know bully on the block, Babylon came in to destroy things, what do they do? They show up and they cheer on the oppression. They say, don't let one stone be left on another. Those guys deserve what they got. And the writer's going, This isn't this isn't right. The second thing that he recalls is is what soldiers often did in the ancient world when they came in and sacked a city. That they would come in and they would take the men off into slavery, into exile, into captivity. And they would go to the mothers and they would take the infants crying and screaming out of their mother's arms and they would dash their brains on a nearby rock. It's too awful to even think about. And in his anger, he's saying, I, yes, I, I, I want them to experience the same thing that they did to me. I want an eye for an eye. And we can debate whether or not he was right to pray this. Something as horrible as infanticide for his enemies? We could could debate that all day long, but I think it misses the point. The point of Psalm 137, the point of uh, the fact that this is included in the Bible, is that it's a raw, tear-stained cry for justice from someone who's endured unspeakable suffering and torment. And it's someone who's bringing the real way that they feel God in all its messed upness if I can use a if I can make up my own word but the good news is that God makes space for this person and he makes space for us to share the deepest most unsanitized depths of our anger and our frustration with him. You know my my favorite part about Psalm 137 is that even though it doesn't exist in most hymnals it exists in the bible itself. God didn't cut it out. He didn't sanitize his scriptures. He left it in. Because God makes space for us to be angry about the right things. And today he invites you not to numb your anger or blow up in rage, but to feel what you're mad about and to submit it to him. There are two ditches I think to to the way that we try to manage our anger as Christians and they relate to one another. The first is to numb ourselves, and the second is to explode. See, to, to numb ourselves is to, is, to, is to try to distract ourselves from what we're actually feeling. And we could do this through entertainment, we can do this through all kinds of different means. Or we, we might try to numb ourselves through minimizing the brokenness of our world and just turning a blind eye to it. And just saying, I'm going to turn off the news, I'm going to turn off the social media, I'm just going to hunker down, I'm going to have tunnel vision. And I think that's okay for a time to sort of gain sanity, but we can't turn a blind eye to it forever. The, the, another way we numb ourselves is by uh, sort of shaming ourselves and saying, Christians, you know, that we shouldn't be angry. And it seems easier, doesn't it, to numb yourselves rather than to feel what you're feeling? But I want to suggest to you that to deny your anger isn't healthy and it isn't helpful. And it often leads to the second ditch, which is after uh, stuffing our anger down, it often explodes on those who don't deserve to be the recipients of it. I, I realized this on Friday after a week of more news and um, and just being frustrated about the state of the world, frustrated with people that I know who, who I don't feel like are, are responding to God's spirit in the way that I think they, they should. All these external things, but I'm sitting down with my kids going through schoolwork on Friday morning and I'm getting frustrated with them and I'm getting frustrated with the technology that's not working. I'm getting frustrated with my kids' teachers, even though they're putting in so much time and effort to, to, to finish out the school year and make sure that my kids are well cared for and that they're learning. And my kids and the teachers and the technology, none of them deserve to be the recipients of my anger. But it boiled over in ways that were unhelpful for me and unhealthy for them. So I realized that a lot of the anger that I was holding up, it wasn't about them. It was about legitimate things, but those legitimate things, I wasn't submitting them to God and I wasn't feeling them for what they they were doing to me. And there's a better way. I think there's a better way. That what we see demonstrated in the psalmist here is this is the better way. He doesn't numb himself Uh, to his anger, he actually says, may I never forget it. May I never forget. And if I ever do forget, and this is a musician talking, may I forget how to play my instruments and how to sing. And he doesn't just explode either. He doesn't doesn't take justice into his own hands. And he doesn't misdirect his anger towards those that, that don't deserve to be the recipients of it. Rather, he takes his anger to God. He takes how he really feels to him and he opens himself up to God. It's actually the embodiment of what we see in Ephesians 4.26. We all, you know, sort of know this verse by heart or we've heard it or we've seen it, you know, plastered on, on uh, posters or, or, or life verses. But it says, uh, be angry and don't sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. And we, we often use that verse as, as, though, uh, as though it means don't get angry at all. But it's not what it means. It, it, it means don't sink into passivity. Don't, don't let the sun go down on it. Don't allow your anger to dissipate. Because just because it dissipates doesn't mean it goes away. It just goes dormant. volcanoes that go dormant don't go away. They just explode at the wrong time and on the wrong people. This verse means do something with your anger before it does something to you. Bring it to someone who can do something about it. Bring it to God so that, not so that he'll just pacify you in it, but so that he can transform it into things that manifest his kingdom on earth. And maybe as you submit that anger to him, maybe, maybe he'll he'll call you to bring that anger into the social sphere and to and to and to stand opposed to the forces that that are unjust in this world. That could be a, a very uh, godly, gospel-centered way to deal with the anger that you experience from what we're seeing today. Maybe he'll call you to bring it to your community group and to discuss ways that you can take action together. Maybe he'll call you to express it to those that are directly affected. Maybe he'll call you to sit with the widow and the orphan who lost a loved one to COVID-19 and say, look, I'm furious and God's furious at death. And he hasn't forgotten about you. And he will overturn this. He, will, he, he may bring good out of it in your lifetime, but he will deal with sin and death forever one day. It's been dealt with at the cross and the resurrection. And he's coming again. I, we, we can have faith in that, but that doesn't mute our anger. It just makes us cry out, Lord, have mercy. Maybe he'll call you to go to a friend of color and just say, I'm I'm outraged at what our society has allowed you and your children to endure. I'm outraged that I may have been an unwilling participant in allowing it to perpetuate. And I just want you to know I'm not okay with it anymore. Friends, I've had so many of those conversations over the last three weeks. Maybe you're like me this week. And you actually have to sit down with the, with the recipients of your anger that didn't deserve it and confess that you've sinned against them. And ask for their forgiveness and talk about why you're so angry, as I had to do. Friends, we shouldn't stoke our anger, but we should feel our anger. And our anger should lead us not to just flash in the pan outrage that fizzles out quickly, but to long-term commitments for justice and for God's kingdom to come in the world. Today, he invites you not to numb your anger, or to blow up in rage, but to submit what makes you angry to him so that he can channel it as a way to reveal the kingdom in your midst and on earth. And he does this because He sees and he makes space for the anger of those who are oppressed and held captive. And he remembers the cause of those who suffer injustice at the hands of cruel governments or unrelenting pandemics or whatever the case might be. And in his anger, his furious love, he's come to oppose evil in all its forms through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. See, the, the psalmist tells God to remember their plight. And it seems like God is being forgetful, like he's being passive, like he's not acting. And it can seem that way for us too. But I just want to remind you, I want to remind all of us exactly who this God is that the psalmist prays to, that we pray to. That we, our God is Jesus Christ. And we take our anger to Jesus because he knows what it's like to endure suffocation at the hands of an unjust world. He knows what it's like to be ripped from the arms of his father and dashed upon the rocks of a, of, of a Roman cross. We take our anger to Jesus because he willingly endured that cross and the injustice that brought it on so that he could triumph over the powers and principalities of this world through his death. And we take our anger to Jesus because he is now the world's true king and will come again to make everything new. And he can be trusted. As we respond this morning, I would just call you to ask for discernment and ask to ask the Lord this question. Lord what have I been angry about? What's the source? What's the root? What's, what is causing me to be angry? Is it justified or is it is it not? Is it aimed at the, the, the things that you're angry about, Lord? Or is it aimed at the things that make me most inconvenienced? What's making me angry today? I want you to feel it. And there's no shame in what you're feeling. Just submit it to him and, and ask for him to, to show you, to, to, to dissect your heart, and he'll do that work. And then the second thing is, Lord, what do you want me to do with my anger? If it's unjustified, I'm, the cross has already taken care of my guilt and shame. I don't, I don't need to just heap more of that on myself, but it might mean that I need to go and confess it to to him and to those that have been the unjust recipients of my anger and ask for their forgiveness. Ask for their restoration. It may be that it is justified and God is asking you to do something about it. So ask him, do you want me to, to act in some way that reveals your kingdom on earth? In 1831 there was a Christian man named William Lloyd Garrison who was a white American abolitionist and he was angry. He was angry about slavery in the US and he was motivated by his Christian faith, his love for Jesus and his hatred to watch what what people of color had to endure in his day. And 30 years before the Civil War even began he said these words in a paper that he published, which, which was so outrageous at the time that he needed to be smuggled to England for fear of his life. He said this, I am aware that many object to the severity of my language, but is there not cause for severity? I will be as harsh as truth and as uncompromising as justice. On this subject, I do not wish to think or speak or write with moderation. No, no. Tell a man whose house is on fire to give a moderate alarm. Tell him to moderately rescue his wife from the hands of the ravisher. Tell the mother to gradually extricate her baby from the fire into which it has fallen. But urge me not to use moderation in a cause like the present. I will not retreat a single inch and I will be heard. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, that we can feel what you feel. And when you look at the world in its state of confusion and chaos and injustice, when you see it bound Uh, by systemic violence and and perpetual illness. When you watch people lose their lives and their livelihoods, you get angry. And we thank you, God, that it's okay to be angry too. That we get to join you in what you feel when you look at the world. And it's not a dismissive anger, it's not a a... an anger that leads to retribution. It's It's an anger that's wholly saturated with love that longs for restoration. And so God, we thank you that as we pray, as we bring our anger to you, we will be heard. You hear us. You join us. You sent your son to do something about it and you filled us with your spirit to participate in what he wants to do in this world. God, we, we don't know what to do with our anger. We're prone to pacifying it. And we're prone to blowing up or to, to taking action into our own hands to, 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 to in our anger wanting to, to to bring retribution and not justice. But we know that's not your way. Your way is to bring restoration. Your way is to bring reconciliation. And we want to to be embodiments of your ministry of reconciliation to the world. Lord, teach us how to do that in our day. And may we count the cost, no matter what it is. Lord, show us what we're angry about. And teach us what to do. In Jesus' name. Amen.